Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast. Good Reading is a monthly magazine dedicated to books and reading and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. Hello and welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Kathy Rikes is a forensic anthropologist, academic, crime fiction author, and creator of the Temperance Brennan character featured in more than 20 books. Today I'm talking to Kathy Rikes about her 21st book in the Temperance Brennan series, Cold Cold Bones. Kathy, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Temperance Brennan begins her life as a young, ambitious forensic anthropologist. She matures over time. At one point, she's five, five, feisty and 40 plus. Now she's mother to daughter, Katie. I wondered how Temperance Brennan has changed in the course of now 21 novels. Has she changed with you and you with her? Well, she's matured. I think one of the things every writer of a continuing character series has to address is what do you do about aging your character? Do you age your character? You don't have to. Um, literary license. Some people have aged their characters in real time. I think maybe Michael Connolly would be an example. Others have just ignored it and held them frozen in time. I've kind of compromised. Um, She's no longer just a little north of 40. Now she's more north of 40. Obviously she has to be because her daughter's been in the army for eight years and has retired. So I've aged her gradually. Each book is a few months later than the one before. So it's a very gradual, and I don't really go into that much at all, the aging process. Has she become more of a person to you rather than a character? Is she part of your life now? Well, she is, and it's kind of a dual temperance Brennan because I think of TV Tempe and book Tempe, and they're different. But TV Tempe was part of my life for 12 years. Book Tempe's been part of my life now for 20 some years. I'm working on book number 22. So yeah, for sure. And I do try to write every day if I'm not off on tour or, you know, doing something. Um, I do pretty much write every day. So I'm with her pretty much every day. Now your style and your pacing places the reader right inside the mind of Temperance Brennan. That gives the reader access to all of her thoughts, her ideas and her opinions. We even become part of her dreams at one point in Cold, Cold Bones, the book we're talking about today. Sometimes I I can almost feel her pulse when I'm reading. How close do you want the reader to be to Temperance Brennan? Well, I do write in first person voice. So you're seeing what Tempe is seeing. You're hearing what she's hearing. Um, That's intentional. Um, I made a choice to, I tried the first book I tried to write in third person, kind of omniscient where you're just describing the action and it just didn't work for me. But when I went to first person voice, um, it was like I was telling my story as she's telling her story. So hopefully that does draw the the reader in very closely to her. She sees the world and experiences the world as she experiences it. And it's interesting that there's this blend of the banal, the banal of everyday life and the terrifying and then the scientific work that she does. And it's uh, she's continually taking her cues from everyday life. For example, when she's eating a bunch of grapes and uh, forgets that these have been frozen, but that prompts an idea in her head that the eyeball that was deposited on her back porch was frozen too. Do you want the everyday to become part of 
her scientific world? Yes, and I think one of the things she is as a scientist is a very good observer, whether it's visually or you know olfactorily or auditorially or whatever. She's she does notice things and because she's always got something on her mind. She's always thinking about the current case. So those things can inform uh, how she deals with that case. Now, her brain runs at a million miles an hour. I just wondered, can you type as fast as Temperance Brennan thinks? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Uh, And I also have the benefit of, you know, the delete key. I can always go back and redo it if I don't like it. Now, the story opens with an eyeball placed in a box on the back porch of Temperance Brennan's home. What has this eyeball seen? I think the opener to this book is my favourite opener of any book. It it began with an eyeball, (laughs) and it is. Katie has moved back to Charlotte, her hometown, and she's delighted about that. They unpack boxes all day, and then they go back to Tempe's house, and what do they find? But another box on her porch. They open it, and there's this quite fresh human eyeball inside. Katie has very good vision. And with a magnifier, she's able to see that there are GPS coordinates etched on the side of the eyeball. So of course our intrepid heroine has to follow those GPS coordinates and they lead her to a Benedictine monastery where I'll just say she makes another grisly discovery. And then not long after that, her boss, the medical examiner, sends her to recover a body in a state park. And it's a a mummified corpse hanging from a tree, an apparent suicide. And that's based on cases that I've had like that. And these are seemingly random. They're unrelated. There's nothing common amongst them. And yet this little voice is telling Tempe something is going on here. And sure enough, they turn out to be related because there's a copycat killer out there mimicking earlier cases from her career. So she's got to find out who that is, why they're doing it, why is she being targeted in this way, and shut him down. So that's the main plot line. Why was there a wasp's nest found inside the mouth of one of the victims that Tempe encounters? wasps will do that. And I have had that take place uh, where you get it back to the autopsy room and it's been cold probably because it was put in a cooler for a while. And then when you bring it back out into the autopsy room, the warmth wakes up the wasps or bees. Bees will do that also. And uh, that can be quite, um, that gets your attention when something starts buzzing inside. It's just something they do. It's a perfect setting for them to build their nests. So you've actually encountered that in real life? Yes, yes. I think one time we had a snake in inside of a skull, I think it was also. It's a cozy little, you know, round little cave. Yeah, I guess it's a, you know, an attractive home. Let's talk about some of the other characters. Let's talk about Katie Brennan. She's recently returned home from being deployed to Afghanistan and now working in a shelter for the homeless. She's a rather prickly character. What's up with Katie? That is Tempe's question. What's up with Katie? Sometimes she's good old Katie, who's warm and funny and and, uh, generous and great to be with. Uh, Sometimes she's just really prickly and difficult. Tempe begins to suspect that Katie might be suffering from PTSD. And then what what do I do about that? How do I deal with it? Enter a new character, Detective Donna Henry. 
And as Tempe describes her, she was at least six feet tall, blonde and blue-eyed and totally ripped. In Tempe's opinion, spending too much time in the gym and not wearing enough sunscreen, she gets a bit of a bad vibe from Detective Donna Henry. Yeah, well, only because Henry tries really hard. The other person she's working with is Skinny Slidell. And I think Skinny's my favorite character in the whole series. And Skinny is gruff and he has this gallows humor and he's he's pretty critical. And he does not like the newbie, as he calls her, even though she's been a detective for several years in California and, and two or three years in Charlotte. He does not like the newbie. And later in the book, we find out why Skinny doesn't like that she carries more than one firearm and a number of things. So I think that a little bit taints Tempe's view. Why is Skinny so negative about this woman? And also she has this rather California Valley girl kind of dialogue that she uses that annoys Tempe. Now, in general, Cold Cold Bones is a novel of revenge, one in which revisiting the past proves the only way to unravel the present. Can we connect Cold Cold Burns with an earlier book? Oh, absolutely. More than one. And that was the whole idea uh, when I wrote this book is that I would draw on earlier books, earlier cases. So the reader would have a double puzzle. Um, the reader of forensic thrillers likes to, or murder mysteries in general, likes to solve the crime, the puzzle, before the author tells them the solution, the whodunit. Who's the bad guy? So they could be doing that, working through that puzzle. If they're a return reader, trying to figure out which of the earlier books I've drawn upon for the mummified corpse hanging from the tree or the eyeball that shows up on her back porch. So they can they can do both. And for the non-return reader, for the reader, this is their first book, uh, it'll give them a little glimpse into what some of the earlier books are like. Now, talking about mummified bodies hanging from trees and eyeballs, the victims in your book turn up in all sorts of bizarre forms, charred remains, incomplete skeletons, chewed off legs, obviously badly decomposed bodies, headless bodies, severed hand, Peruvian dog mummies, bones in the belly of a Burmese python, bacterium that eats human flesh. Now, these are actually all drawn from real cases. So there doesn't seem to be any need to invent anything because it's all there for you. Is anything out of bounds in that sense for you in writing fiction? I don't think there's anything that's out of bounds. Um, but I try to think of something that's going to be of interest to, to readers two years down the road because it takes me a year to write a book and then it's in production for a year. So what's going to be on people's minds? What's going to be a hot topic? The Bone Code, the one prior to this, Ideas come either from actual cases I worked on or sometimes, as we used to say in the writer's room, ripped from the headlines. And that was a ripped from the headlines book. Uh, we have the whole human genome mapped out now and we have the ability to modify that genome with CRISPR. But scientists have agreed they're not going to do that just to create designer babies. But I read this little article about a Chinese doctor who did. He actually modified the genomes of two unborn baby girls. Um, so I started thinking, well, there's an interesting premise. What if someone takes this knowledge and this technology and does that, plays around with the human genome for um, malevolent purposes, or at least not honorable purposes. So that's the underlying theme. The uh, 
the, the flesh-eating disease, the capnocytophagia, again, I saw an article about a man who had it and it, it had taken his hands and his nose and it, it's a very unpleasant disease. And I thought, well, what if there was an outbreak of something like that? This is, I started that book way before COVID. I started that like at the end of 2018 or something. So it was kind of prescient of what did take place shortly after the release of that book. What leads the story for you? Is it the science? Is it the character, the plot or something else altogether? Gosh, it's hard to separate them. I certainly, I start out with my main character. I've got my core cast of characters, which varies from place to place. It's Temperance Brennan, obviously. She works with Skinny Slidell if she's down in the Carolinas. She works with Andrew Ryan if she's, you know, up in Montreal. Uh, and then I bring in various other characters, of course, but that's a, a central part of, of each story. But I think the, and then setting. Setting is very important to me as well. Uh, she does get around. Those are her two main uh, neighborhoods, let's say. But she's also been to Guatemala. She's been to Israel. She's been to Afghanistan. Basically, if I go somewhere, then my character goes somewhere. So she's been to Afghanistan. She's been uh, to Hawaii. The books are, you know, I vary the setting. So that's an element, the, the core cast of characters. And then I bring in peripheral characters also in each book. Um, and then there will be some triggering idea, like seeing the article about the Chinese doctor. I take that little nugget and then I say to myself, well, okay, somebody has the ability to modify the genome or whatever. And then, well, what if this happened? Or what if that happened? Or what if that happened? Or what if that happened? And then I spin it all together in, into the storyline. Now you referred to the TV series, Bones. Are you in the creative hands of others there? And is it challenging to place that creative aspect in the hands of others? I was very careful in doing that um, before I agreed to go with the two executive producers that we had, uh, Barry Josephson and Hart Hansen. I had had several other offers and they just, eh, they just weren't right. The vibe wasn't there. We just weren't exactly on the same page. But what, so I was very careful in placing my character because as you say, once you option that your your work or your the character in my case is what I optioned um you do give up a great deal of control now part of why I went with the setup I did is they genuinely wanted my opinion my input I had input not control um so yeah and we we just seemed to want the same things we wanted a character-based show we didn't want to do just another police procedural we wanted to create characters people would care about and become engaged with and follow week to week. And we wanted to put humor in the show. I put humor in the books and that's hard because every episode, every book is dealing with violent death. So you have to be very, very gentle and know when to put the humor in and when not to put the humor in. And that's why I love Skinny. I like to do it with dialogue. And once, and I love the, the the play between Skinny and Tempe is a perfect vehicle for introducing humor. The Temperance Brennan that is written for for TV and the Temperance Brennan in the pages of your book, is there a difference between those in your mind or are they simply something like parallel universes? They're different. And I think of TV Tempe and book Tempe. They are different. TV Tempe's younger. She's in Washington, D.C. at the Jeffersonian. Uh, Book Tempe is is older and, you know, commutes between the Carolinas and uh, Quebec. Uh, their personalities are different. The 
TV Tempe is very awkward uh, early on in the series, not so much later in the series. Um, she's, uh, she's very unsophisticated, unpolished, unworldly, shall we say, although that changes a little too over the course of the series. But I do like that they're different, that they're separate, because when I go to write the book, I don't have to be impacted by TV Tempe. That was an earlier version of Tempe. It was a prequel to Tempe, if you will, my book Tempe. The Tempe Brennan of TV is somewhat ageless, whereas in the books, she's maturing. She seems to be aging gracefully and returning to one of the things that we began this interview with. What's Tempe's retirement plan? Oh, boy, I don't really have one yet. Um, I'm currently writing book number 22, The Bone Hacker, which is the last on my current contract. So I'm going to have to decide what I'm what I'm going to do, but I haven't really structured us. You know, we used to talk about the season finale and the series finale for the whole thing um, for the TV bones. I haven't really structured thought ahead to a series finale yet. And of course, you're writing uh, another series with your son, Brendan, the viral series featuring Tori Brennan, the great niece of Temperance Brennan. Is that something that... uh, Tempe Brennan might be considering a a changing of the guard, you might say? She might. I mean, one of the fun things that uh, Hart Hansen came up with on the show, on the TV show, is that Temperance Brennan is a full-time forensic anthropologist by day. She writes novels in her spare time, and the main character of her novels is Kathy Reichs. So he did this whole flip around thing, and we did several episodes playing playing with the fact that she's a best-selling author so you know who knows maybe book tempe will also decide she's going to write a book or she's pretty busy with her forensic cases right now that really does sound like a parallel universe or universes intersecting somehow kathy rux it's been great to talk to you and thank you for joining me on the good reading podcast thank you so much for having me i've been talking to kathy rux about her new book cold cold bones it's published by simon and schuster and you can find it at goodreadingmagazine.com.au My name's Greg Dobbs, and thanks for listening. Subscribe to Good Reading Print and Online Magazine at goodreadingmagazine.com.au.